Uh, we're going to continue our series on the life uh, in community, what it looks like to be uh, people who obey the commands throughout the New Testament uh, that, that the New Testament authors gave us on what it looks like to, to really obey and be the church, uh, that it's not just something that we naturally do because there's all these commands about how to live it out. So we've talked about the command to love one another, uh, the command to encourage one another, and and so on. And and today, uh, we're talking about serving one another. Uh, Do you guys remember that uh, book? Before I say that, though, I I was thinking about how to start today's sermon. I I looked at pieces of Kierkegaard literature. Uh, I looked at Tolstoy. Uh, I thought I'd found a really great essay by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, and then I even was uh, reading this summer, this is just my humble brag, uh, King Lear. So I was like, there's something in there with Shakespeare about duty and service. Uh, but then I finally decided on this book, the book that's called uh, The Cat in the Hat, uh, which is a great like, piece of literature. Uh, the cat keeps uh, adding things uh, that he's balancing while the children kind of watch in horror. I don't know if you've like remember that part, but he's like on a ball. There's a... Uh, and they're just kind of watching him, wondering, is he going to crash? I think he's holding like a boat on a mop uh, with a dress, uh, with a pot, with a fish, with a cake, et cetera, et cetera. And, and all the while, he's balancing it, you know, while he's like tail on a ball. Uh, and it all rhymes, and it's incredibly fun. So like, here's like a picture of that, that scene. Uh, and here's what it says on the other side of that page. It says, look at me, look at me, look at me now. It is fun to have fun, but you have to know how. I can hold up the cup and the milk and the cake. I can hold up these books and the fish on a rake. I can hold the toy ship and the little toy man. And look, with my tail, I can hold a red fan. And I can fan with the fan as I hop on the ball, but that's not all. Oh no, that's not all. It's really fun, right? It's a fun little part. Uh, especially because it's fun because as the reader and as a child, you know that disaster is about to happen, right? He can't keep adding things that he's balancing. Eventually, he's going to crash down. And so, yeah, if you look at the next page, this is what it is. Look at that. It's great. These are actual scans of our copy of the book. <laughs> and this is what it says on, the, on, that, on this page. It says, this is what the cat said and then he fell on his head. He came down with a bump from up there on the ball, and Sally and I, we saw all the things fall. It's pretty great, yeah? It's pretty fun. Uh, I used to think that this was so funny, like as a child, uh, even as a dad, reading it to my kids. I thought, this is so funny, until I realized that Dr. Seuss, like whoever that is, somebody let me know later, but uh, was actually a prophet who's trying to give us a parable for modern life. And then it becomes a little scarier, a little sadder. Uh, Because there we are, we're holding our careers, our networks of relationships, our alumni associations, our hobbies, our work friends, our neighborhood friends, our park friends, uh, our hobby friends, our dry cleaning, our housekeeping, our meal planning, our coffee runs, uh, our family obligations our deep planning uh, for the future, our longings, our desires, our purposes, our dreams. We're juggling all of that, our rent or our mortgages, our pets and their health crises. And, we, and you know, don't forget, while you're doing all of that, make sure you stay up to date on all current 
and political events, that way you can have a solid opinion about all of them. And we're juggling it all while we're saying to ourselves and to others, look at me, look at me now. It's fun to have fun, but you have to know how, right? And on the inside though, we're probably pretty terrified. And we know that it won't be long before something gets added to our plate uh, and we're going to fall and we're gonna be in the middle of a mess that somebody is going to have to clean up. And we also know that it's not like the cat in the hat, that there's not going to be this big machine that comes in and cleans it up, you know, just like that. Uh, we know we're gonna be in a solid mess. And so I wanna warn you because of all of that, because today's passage says, serve others, offer hospitality, and love deeply. And for some of us, we might be in a season where we're like, well, what fun to have fun. There's more things for me to juggle. Like, watch me, I can do those commands. I can serve others, I can do hospitality, I can love others deeply. Like, watch me juggle all of these things. Uh, but to others, you might hear uh, and think, ah, oh, like another thing. Doesn't the Bible know I'm here juggling all of life and you're gonna ask me to do another thing? You know, I don't have capacity to offer a single ounce of love again to a new person or a different person or even a single extra ounce of love to the people I've been trying to love for a long time. Uh, host how, you know, like my house is small, my life is a mess, how am I supposed to add more? You know, how can I serve? I have nothing left. I've given it all out. I've, I've bled all the bleeding. There's no margin, there's zip, there's nothing, right? Uh, we're, being, we're pretty tired of, of being asked to do things. Uh, we're being, when we get an email from our boss asking us to do a whole nother thing, we're like, ah, again, another uh, assignment that I have to do. Uh, when uh, people in our lives ask us to do more, even if it's, you know, pick them up from the airport or whatnot, you know, we're like, ah, another thing. And yet the Bible keeps asking. Uh, the Bible keeps drawing out. It keeps prodding us. Uh, it keeps call calling us to a, a relational life uh, that requires more of us, not less. And, and here's what I believe. Uh, both of those perspectives of like, watch me juggle these things, I'm gonna be amazing, or I can't handle another thing. I think they're both kind of wrong in the same way. Uh, because you might think that these commands of community are about you and what you can do, what you can accomplish, uh, how good you can do. But really, they're all about Christ and what he is already accomplishing through us. I think often we dwell on what Christ has done for us, which is really good. We're like, we look back at the cross and the resurrection. We say, he did that. He did that that one time way back when, and that's good. We should dwell on that. It's a good thing to dwell on. But then also we might uh, think about what Christ will do for us, that one day there's gonna be a tearing down of everything broken and sad, and in its place is gonna be this beautiful garden city where humanity experiences healing and flourishing, and we're like, God will do that for us. Uh, but today's passage challenges us to think about what Christ is doing through us and in our midst, in the, in the kind of environment of 
Christian community. And so we're going to read 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Uh, and I hope that as we, we do, we might gain a, a bigger glimpse of our life than just a community as a, as a new busyness thing to manage. I hope that we can find a life of quiet significance that results in a loud praise to Jesus. Uh, so this is it. It's 1 Peter 4, verse 7 to 11. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God that he provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. It starts with a pretty ominous phrase for how to live life in community. The end of all things is near. It's a pretty epic phrase. Uh, I wish I could kind of just say that phrase in ordinary life. I think sometimes that's, you know, definitely the people that get paid to be on cable news uh, and get paid to be on Twitter, they say those sorts of things all the time, right? The end of all things is near. This is really important, okay? If this happens, if Coke changes its flavor again, we're all doomed, right? The end of all things is near. And often they're talking about serious things too. But this is a phrase uh, that was used in the early church uh, to describe uh, the fact that we are in the final stages of the world. Uh, it's actually C.S. or Tolkien, not C.S. Lewis, the other one. Uh, he pulled out this kind of theme a lot through his you know, major epic, The Lord of the Rings. That, that the, the characters are in this phase where the end of the age is coming and what is broken and destroyed is going, to be, is going to fade away and there's going to be a whole new reality for everyone to take hold of. That's kind of what's happening throughout the book and there's all these great moments uh, with Frodo and Gandalf and different characters, that the end is near, which is what they meant in the New Testament, that the world we know of, of pain, of evil, of sin and death is quickly fading away and disappearing even if it doesn't look like it at the time. So for the people that Peter was writing to, they're suffering, they're being persecuted in these mild ways by society and culture, and they know a bigger persecution is definitely coming. And even though it doesn't seem that way, they would tell each other often that this world as we know it is fading away. The world that is to come is one of constant peace, of consistent love. It's a world of overwhelming worship. Uh, the end of suffering is about to be here. Uh, that this life and this world is temporary. That's what he's meaning when he says the end of the world, the end of all things is here. We're at the very last age of this world as we know it because we're in the age of resurrection where death has been brought to life. That's what Paul is talking about when he says Christ is the first fruits of all resurrection and that we who've been buried with him are going to be raised with him also as the secondary fruits of resurrection. We live in the, in the era or the epoch in which death does not define 
and our entire reality. And so that's what Peter has been referencing throughout this entire book, that Christ suffered to end all suffering. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1. That Christ rose from the dead to create a new world of promise, or, or Peter described as a, a living hope where death is defeated, evil is vanquished. And we're all raised back into that world, and we're living in this one as sojourners, people who don't quite fit in in this world. Uh, I, you know, it's my own personal, you know, therapy sometimes up here, but I will just say I was raised in a different culture than my, than my parents. So I was raised in Western Europe. I learned how to speak the language real good. I even, I married a Portuguese woman, right? Uh, but yeah, she's pretty great. Obviously the best part of me. And, uh, and it's, it's odd because people will regularly ask me, even this, this past week, it's like, oh, where, where is home for you? And it's this really complicated thing that I have to answer. It's like, well, I feel at home like the smells and the environment of this city, uh, Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, but when I go there, I know that I'm not Portuguese enough. To be Portuguese is to be like born there, to live there, uh, to have a land that you can point to and say, that's where my family first, you know, grew crops 2,000 years ago. I am Portuguese. You are not, you tall, blonde, chubby man, you know? Uh, you, you don't f fit quite in. And then when I come to America, the land, of it's like I should totally fit in uh, because, you know, my passport says so uh, and my residency says so, but I don't. I feel like an aimless place, even when people might ask, are you ever going to move home one day? And it's like, I have no idea where that would even be. I have no idea that where, where that land of my childhood is. And that's what Paul, or Peter has been saying throughout, and that's what he's trying to reference here, is we all, whether you are living in the city that you grew up in or not, you are a person traversing through a world that is quickly fading away, and you belong to the next world a world of new creation, of new hope, of new life. That's what you actually belong in, and right here and right now, you're just an immigrant through this world. Like, that's the reality. And that's how he kind of sets it all up, that we are, uh, you know, watching things kind of fade away, and that the end of all things is not a scary thought or a scary reality, but an exciting one, uh, that we get to be participants in the kingdom of God as we see the conclusion to everything. It kind of, it reminds me of, uh, here's a, a, a picture. Uh, this is Jordan's, Michael Jordan's last shot uh, versus the Utah Jazz. Uh, you might know it from the season finale of The Last Dance, if you're not super sportsy. But this is Michael Jordan taking this final shot. He, he totally uh, pushed off on Russell there, the guy who uh, was guarding him. And the ball is in the air, and you know for certain that it's going to go in and that the victory has been accomplished. Like, that's the age that we live in. We're the people like, oh, Jordan took the shot. It's going to go in. We know we're victorious, right? Uh, I tried to find the one of Kobe giving an alley-oop to uh, Shaq to beat the Blazers, and there's just not good shots of it because, I don't know, photographers weren't thinking that was gonna be an awesome moment. That really, it was really lame. Anyway. Uh, this is the next, uh, the next thing. It's also like, if that's not you, if you're not sportsy, this is uh, Apollo 11 being shot off of the, the launch pad into space. 
At that moment, like, there's no, there's no turning back. Like, uh, humanity is about to land on the moon just, like, three days later. It's kind of this odd, you know, three days. Anyway, it's not that spiritual. But uh, they're shooting off into space. You can't press pause on it. It's not like, oh, wait, no. It's like, no, it's going into orbit. It will then go to the moon. We will land on the moon. Like, it's not in doubt. And that is the era that we are in. We're in the time of the empty tomb. And Peter says, this is a sobering thing. Like, what a time to be alive, but isn't this actually quite serious? Uh, that being a follower of Jesus is a serious endeavor. Uh, it creates, Peter writes, a need to be sober-minded, to, be, to, not, to kind of have a, a, an attitude of the, the things that play in this world are not trivial or small but they're actually significant. And then it says we should be sober-minded so that we can pray, so that, that we have this view in mind of that, that this is the life that we get to live in, the life of the church that is advancing the mission of God. So what it ought to draw us to is prayer. Now, we spent like eight weeks talking about prayer a few months ago, so I'm going to spare you another prayer talk, but you could just go to that if you want. But after prayer, uh, it says that there's these three things that we should do. We should love one another deeper, deeply. We should offer hospitality uh, in a genuine way. And we should serve each other with our gifts. And so with all of that in mind, we love one another. Uh, again, we talked about this reading 1 John uh, quite uh, a bit ago last month. But there is some uniqueness and nuance to this one. Uh, He's talking about this, if you see in your Bible, it might say deep love or steadfast love or steady love. He's talking about this consistent uh, love that says, I'm not letting go. Uh, I am for you, not against you. I'm for you for the long haul. Whatever might happen, whatever might come between us, distance or geography or anything like that, I am for you for the long haul. That's what he means by this deep love. I'm here for the relapse. I'm here for the heartache. I'm here for the grief. I'm not letting go of my concern or my support uh, or my will, my desire to see you loved. That's what he's saying by this deep love. And, he, and I think that what he's talking about, because he then says, you know, it may cause... Uh, or this kind of love will cause us to cover up a multitude of sins, which is a little, little odd, you might think. Um, it's like, oh, can we cover each other's sins if we love? That sounds like a really great recipe for, for codependence. Like, you keep sinning, and I'm going to keep loving you. Uh, and that's, or, you know, even in this age, you might think, oh, this is like where the church covers up, like actually hides, hides sin and destruction. I think it's a, it's a completely different thing. I think Peter knows that there's this tendency within us to become lazy or apathetic towards love. Um, I think he also thinks that it is probably to be expected that a, a group of people aspiring to live a life together uh, amidst trials and struggles and suffering uh, where we might all become overwhelmed with life, I think it's to be expected that there's a great opportunity for bickering and for hard feelings and for hypocrisy and for jealousy and for gossip and all kinds of wrongs. And there's only one cure for it. 
I think Peter is saying, to have a deep love for one another, a never giving up love, a love on good days and on bad days, a deep love that says you wronged me and so I'm going to talk to you about it, a love that's kind of born from this gift of God and that it's the fundamental nature of all Christian community. It's what gives us strength to endure the onslaught of all the bad that we might do to one another, that kind of deep, earnest love. Uh, Peter's actually referring to, when he says, covers a multitude of sin, an often quoted saying in Proverbs in Jewish culture. It's Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. I think this is exactly what Peter is saying, that uh, there's going to be tons of opportunity for us to have dissension, uh, for us to, to be against each other, which is the kind of def definition of hatred uh, in the scriptures, is I am against you and I want you to fall. Uh, I want you to like be destroyed. That's why the, the scriptures can talk about how we can have hate towards sin, because we want it to be defeated and destroyed forever. But, it, but this proverb talking about how in a group, in a community, in a house, in a family, our hatred for one another will stir up all sorts of dissension. The only thing to counteract that is to have a deep love for each other, which will kind of cover up and push out all wrongs. He isn't saying that our love for each other saves, that's like for Jesus only, or that it, it covers up sin by ignoring it. No, what he's saying is that the greatest resistance we can have towards sin within our community is to love one another. That's how we expel disunity, is that faithful, steadfast love. Uh, if love has won, if we're living in this final age, the age of resurrection, and love is victorious, if we're in the same time when things are fading away, except for the things that God holds in his hands by his love, then let's love deeply one another. He also says an implication of this is that we would offer hospitality to one another. Uh, and, and it's not like Pinterest hospitality uh, or Instagram hospitality. I mean, those are lovely hospitalities. Uh, or the hospitality industry, you know, uh, which is hotels and uh, restaurants and stuff, where you pay someone to be really nice to you. And the more you pay, the nicer they become. It's really great. Or in some cases, like the more you pay for that coffee, the meaner they are to you, which I just want to testify. In Australia, it's the opposite. The nicer the barista is to you, the better you can expect the coffee to be and the more expensive. Uh, so it's kind of nice. So that, not that kind of hospitality. Uh, at this time, uh, in, the, in this kind of context, there weren't like a huge networks of hotels where you get you know, reward points for staying at them. The expectation was actually that if you were a Jewish person or a Christian person traveling around the world, you could go to any Christian and knock on their door and say, I need a place to stay. That was the network of housing. Uh, that's how you traveled the world. You kind of said, hey, I'm here, uh, and I also believe in Jesus, and you believe in Jesus, so it's your obligation to welcome me into your house. And it was an obligation. That's sometimes when we talk about the, the, the family of God, uh, it was really weighty, that whole phrase, and to call each other brothers and sisters. It meant that they, your brother or sister in Christ, could kind of cash that blank check 
of hospitality towards you. So he's likely talking about that, and also the welcoming in of other Christians in your city into your house so that people can worship and pray and take communion and have a feast together. Uh, A kind of celebration that would let all the neighbors and all the people know, hey, you're actually a Christian. And and it kind of would out you publicly, neighborhood-wise. And that would be an intense kind of ask, right? It's a lot bigger of an ask than, hey, come over to my house. I'm going to make a really fancy charcuterie board and a really great cocktail, and I'm going to shut the doors to all the rooms I don't want you to see that are messy and say, hey, yeah, come on in. Let me show you my awesome life. Uh, hospitality, there's other parts of the New Testament, talks about hospitality as a way that people uh, grow in pride. But here he's asking us to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, without grumbling. Uh, And we don't live in an age where having Christians in your house outs you publicly. Uh, We don't live in an age where uh, people don't have hotels to stay at or Airbnbs, and we have a completely different kind of society. But I do wonder, uh, this this concept of hospitality is a, I'm going to obligate myself to you and to your care, and I'm going to make space for you in my life without you giving me anything, without you offering me anything. And I wonder, in those spaces, uh, do you grumble, you know? And so I have this dialogical question that will be hard for you to answer, but let's just do it this way. If you were to grumble, and I know you never do, but if you were to grumble, or if someone you know were to grumble at the, the prospect of being in community and caring for one another, why would you grumble? And how would, that, how would that manifest itself whenever you're being put forward like, oh, I've got to obligate myself to this brother or sister in Christ? How, Matt's ready. Yeah, we've already done this eight times before. Why am I going to keep doing it? Exactly, yeah? Why else might you grumble? They're just going to move away anyway. Yeah, bring them into your house, and they leave and abandon you. Yeah. What else? I feel like it is more work. It is a sacrifice. So unless you're, you're not giving to Jesus, it is more work. It is more laundry. It mm. is more cleaning. Like, you could easily grumble because it is more work. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, great, I made space for you, and it's a lot more work. Yeah. So then you're like there grumbling as you do the work, yeah? I would grumble, why do I have to make up their poor foresight plan? <laughs> <laughs> very, very inconsiderate. Yeah. Totally. Why? Why do I fulfill your deficit? Totally. Why, why should I do that? Yeah. They messed up their plan. Like, they should have planned better, should have created a, a better structure for their lives, and here I am now stepping in, filling the gap. Parenting, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, like once they see my mess and how crazy I am, they will walk away. Hmm. So the 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 hospitality of like, oh, they're gonna come in and I'm gonna serve them, and then they're gonna know who I really am, and they're gonna bail. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I mean, not really good that you feel that way, but that's a, <laughs> or your friend who might grumble. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, not you. No. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a pretty great list of, yeah, they, they should have made a better plan. Or I've done this for them so many times. Or this is going to cost more of me. And I might love them and they might walk away. Or if they come in, if they enter in, they're going to see me and know me and then reject me. Yeah. I think that all of that grumbling, I think, is very real to expect. Uh, I think what is fascinating, because all of this happens underneath this heading of the end of all things is near, is that 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 kind of hospitality that you're being asked to give to others is what you have already first received. Like Christ, who said, this world continues to mess it up, and they're going to continue to sin against me, and yet I will enter into it, and I will make a place for them. This world, they should have planned better. Like, don't they know the commands that I've given them? And yet they screw it up. And now the world is getting worse and worse and worse. And so I, I have to enter in out of a deep love and faithful, steadfast love for them to make this world new that they can inhabit. And then he says, I think the same way of like, this, like you are such a mess. And he comes in and he sees and he knows. You know, I think if, if Jesus had some sort of misconceptions of like, maybe humanity's not that bad. I think it was definitely pressed out of him after he spent time with people, like on this earth, walking in their shoes, knowing them. Same with you, knowing your life, seeing the mess of it. It says, no, no, I still want to make a place and prepare it for you. And does it cost more for Jesus? Absolutely. The, the whole never-ending serving of him surrendering his life so that you might be raised. And all the while doing it for people that he knows are just going to walk away. Like, imagine the amount of service that he gave to Judas, knowing he's going to be the one that doesn't just walk away, but like, gives me up to suffering. This is the source and the reservoir of which we offer hospitality to others. And then he says, uh, serve one another. Serve one another as sort of a subcategory or a alongside category of hospitality. It's pretty, pretty unsure. But he's saying each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace uh, in its various forms. Uh, maybe you all know this, or, but it's worth saying the word gift and grace is the same word. So you could actually read this another way. You could read it, uh, and this would be an accurate translation. Each of you should use whatever grace you have received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in various forms, or each of you should use whatever gift you've received uh, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's gift in its various forms. Uh, all of that to say, uh, we've received a free gift from God in which to serve and care for others. That definition of our church that each one of us has a role to play. Uh, so use it. You know, God's grace uh, given in your life, uh, in your struggles, in your weaknesses, uh, in your story, in your inabilities, uh, 
in your perspective on the world that's been shaped through the, wor- through the life that he's kind of led you through, in all those things, serve. Bring that to service. Uh, I think that when we uh, typically think about serving others, we think just like we do about hospitality, of putting our best foot forward, ser- like hosting from our strengths, right? Like you, you take people to the best part of your house. You serve them the best dish or the dish that you know you're not going to mess up. Uh, you give them the, the best of those things. Uh, I think in the same way as serving, we do the same thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to put my best foot forward and all of the things that I'm really good at, and I'm going pr- to create a wall between me and the person that's serving because I'm, I'm the one serving them, right? So we keep that kind of perspective. I think what he's talking about here is operating within the grace that you've received, understanding that it was in your weakness Christ saved you. Uh, it's in your weakness that Christ is strong. Uh, that, that anything that you have to offer another person, anything that you can do to serve or speak into the life of another person that is good and that is right, it comes from the Lord and from no one else and from no other source. Uh, and it's, it's describing here to, that you might know that when you serve out of the gifts that God's given you, what is seen and what's felt and what's known is the character of God and the very presence and the attributes of God, not you. Uh, if you imagine like a, an artist, really good artist, uh, gives you a painting, like one of those big paintings, like an epic piece of artwork. And so you hang it up in your house in the entryway, people come in and they see it and they experience it. They get lost in the, the, just the majesty of this artwork. Uh, and you receive a lot of joy out of that because you keep seeing people like come in and seeing that painting that you've made available for them. You hung it up, you know, you got a good frame for it, all of that stuff. Uh, and others now get to kind of receive that blessing that the artist created for others and it impacts them a little bit, Right? And everyone who comes in kind of says that. And in that moment, though, they don't say to you uh, who hung up the painting, they don't say, man, you really hung this painting up well. Like, look at you, painting hanger-upper. Like, you're fantastic. They don't also say, wow, you really mastered lighting. You know, like you, the way you put the lighting on this thing, wow, kudos to you. They also don't say, like, look at the frame." wow, you picked a great piece of wood. Like, good for you. No, what they say is, most likely what they're going to say is, look at that painting. Like, look at what the artist did, and they're going to be impacted by it. And you're going to stand there off to the side and say, yeah, all I did was receive this gift, and now other people are receiving it through me, through my home. Uh, You could, yeah, All of that means is that when you serve out of the gifts that God has given you, what is seen and what is felt and what is known is the character of God. And then Peter ends by saying, uh, by saying this, um, so that you do all of these things, you speak as if the words were God's, uh, you serve as if it's God serving through you, as if God's the one that's providing all those things, like the artist who's given you that piece of work. And then it says, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 
It's a, it's a very clever thing that he's doing. He's saying that the end of all things is near. And then at the end, by our living and life community, he's saying all things and all things, God is going to be praised. It's this nice parallel thing that he's doing here. But what he's describing is, is that Christ operating within our community, the grace of God, the gift of God, is an overwhelming power that results in praise. Glory beyond our accomplishments, glory beyond our juggling or our building up of our lives. Following Jesus uh, isn't just a serious thing, it's a celebratory thing where, where we, out of the serving and caring and receiving serving and receiving hospitality and giving hospitality, we get to look back and say, look how good Jesus is. Look how wonderful Christ is. And I think that this is intentionally like Peter again knows that we have a tendency uh, to praise ourselves. And so here's the caution above all other cautions for a group like us who generally serves each other well, offers hospitality well, tries to care for each other and use our gifts. The big caution is uh, that we need to be careful on what it is and who it is that we praise. Is it us or is it Christ? Because there's one way in which we, we experience the love and the abounding, like, deep affection within a community, and we say, when I knew that love, when I knew that acceptance, when I knew that care, when I knew that commitment, I knew Christ loving me. Praise him. But then there's this also, an alternative mode in which we praise in all things our community, uh, and there's a burden in keeping that kind of love, a, a, a burden that, that is uh, kind of uh, squishing of our very souls of, I must continue to be that person so that they can turn around and say, this community loved me, like, let's praise them for how good they are at doing all this. We have to live up to that kind of love, and it kills us, rather than it is Christ loving these people through me. There's another element when we might say, man, we were welcomed into the homes of fellow believers, and as we were being welcomed in there, it was like we were being welcomed into the place and the presence and the house of God, like a house of worship. And that's what I was, be that's what I was experiencing in the life of this community. How good is God that he would give gifts like that to people that I would taste and experience it? But then the other kind of mode of that is to praise the strengths of the people, uh, and to be like, man, these people are so strong and talented and able. Uh, and man, the, the burden there is to ever be vulnerable. Like, don't ever do that because you have to live up to strength, not weakness. You have to always have your things put together. You have to speak really powerful, good words when people are struggling and suffering. Uh, and you have to kind of know a whole bunch of information to be able to do that. Or do you get to speak the words of God to each other? There's the, again, uh, back to, to the good way of Christ being praised. When we were served, it was as if Christ was serving us. When we experienced that grace and that truth and that hope, it was as if Christ was speaking it to our very hearts and souls through these people. Oh, how wonderful and good is Christ in all things. Or do we praise our own means and our ability to, uh, to step in and, and draw people to ourselves. And I think that there's two kind of distinct outcome differences of praising Jesus 
in the midst of our community, at the center of our community, or praising ourselves and our abilities. One draws people heavenward towards that we live in the age where resurrection has come, and the other is calling people to ourselves that that we then have to carry for the rest of our lives of, oh, I, I attracted all of these people to my gifts, my ability, my hospitality, and now I better not fail them or it'll get messy. And there's a big difference there. I want to remind us again of the cat in the hat. Uh, And he was so stressed out, right? And all things kind of juggling. Uh, It's pretty great. And that talks about, look at how I can do this. And then it says, all the things fell, right? If you attempt to operate and serve in your own strength and ability, eventually all things will fall. And you really will be stuck in a mess that has to be cleaned up. The good news is, in all the things that you're juggling, and all the things that you feel overwhelmed by, uh, when it's Christ working through you, he holds up all things together for his good, and that he is to be praised. That God, in Christ, has already done it all, has already juggled it all, and all of the different aspects of your life, he holds them all together. His love has already rescued us from all sins. Uh, It never gives up. It's never failing, always consistent love. His hospitality has already created a home and a dwelling place for us all, and he's adopted us into his family. There's no greater place to be. He has already emptied himself, given uh, his strength, given his gifts, so that we might be raised to an abundant life with him. And so I do, I want to read these final words that might lead us into our response. It says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. That Jesus is not calling us to uh, be the cat in the hat that juggles all of these things. He's calling us to depend on the gifts and the graces that God has already given us, that we might in our weakness see his strength. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the the richness of the cross and the the richness of the way that you served us and humbled yourself towards us. God, I thank you for the, the world that you are creating out of this one, the goodness that you are making. Um, God, I thank you for this church and this community. I pray that we would be able to serve one another, host one another, love one another, uh, out of an abundance of the love and the hosting and the service that we've received from you. Help us not juggle life, but help us experience and taste it. Help us uh, praise you in the midst of all things. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.